Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Well, that was unnecessarily um, exciting this morning with a little technology glitch. Good morning. It's uh, Monday morning, the 30th of October. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Let's jump right into the Word of God. Let's get ourselves into the Word of God so the Word of God can get into us and prepare us to get out there into the world that God so loves. So your Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Matthew chapter 7. Remember, you can sign up for this uh, to receive it in your inbox every morning at MyFaithRadio.com. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. Again, Jesus speaking here, therefore, which every time you see a therefore in Scripture, what are you supposed to do? Pause and ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? So we'll come back to that in just a second. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds beat against the house, but it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Now, for those of you who are familiar with this uh, passage and it's uh, the larger teaching of it, there are other places to build your house as well. You can build your house on anything but Jesus. That would be the sand. And uh, when the rain comes and the streams rise and the winds blow against that house, great is its fall because its foundation is uh, is shifty and sinking and washed away. So um, let's unpack this. Therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, you got to go back and read the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount to get the sense of what the therefore is there for. So I encourage you to reread Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 today. And then everyone, everyone who hears these words of mine, so who was the first group hearing these words of Jesus? Who was standing there in the days of Jesus? Who was listening? Well, certainly the disciples were listening, but this is the sermon given on the mount. There's a great gathering of people there. And so as in many cases, there, there's like the first hearers, the disciples of Jesus, and then there are these concentric circles of wider and wider and wider hearing. The same is true today. There are those um, who hear what we have to say, and they know us, and they understand what we're saying and what we mean. And then there's the sort of next circle of folks that they hear us, but they're not exactly sure that they understand what we're saying. And so they might need some follow-up, some interpretation. Um, and then there is a wider 
group who sort of overhears what we're saying, but they're also in the midst of a half a dozen other conversations and lots of other influences pressing in on their lives. Um, They maybe already have some uh, committed ideas in terms of the way they're going to live. And then there's just everybody else. And that's the world that, that sort of halfway overhears what Jesus is saying, um, and they give it very, very, very little heed. So where are you in terms of the audience hearing this today? Because everyone who hears these words of Jesus, everyone who hears these words of Jesus has then a decision to make, to put them into practice or not. Having heard the revealed word of God, how do you respond? In obedience or disobedience? Our friend Dave Buring, who's going to join us in just a moment, um, he talks about uh, obedience being the engine of transformation. And so once we have heard and received the Word of God, what do we do with it? Once we know what God's will is, what do we do with it? How do we respond? That's what Jesus is talking about here. It's the difference between those who hear um, and those who, well, those who hear and do and those who hear and do nothing. Maybe that's a better way to say it. So hearing and putting into practice, uh, the difference between believing and doing, the distance between espoused theology and theology and practice, the distance between orthodoxy and orthopraxy, between um, those who hear. There's no difference between the hearing and the not hearing in terms of the storms that come. Everybody's got to build a house and everybody's got to live in it. And the question is whether or not in the midst of those storms and the rising streams and the violent winds that are going to beat against our lives, um, the difference is, will what we have constructed stand? And so I don't know about you, but my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. All other ground is sinking stand. So on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Where are you standing today? Where are you building your life? Our, our friend Dave Buring going to join us here in just a moment. We're gonna um, we're gonna talk about waiting. Ugh, who wants to wait? <laughs> wait and see. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Dave Buring is back from Lion Share. You can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. Dave, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Um, something that uh, maybe you've been praying about for a very long time, something that you have been waiting for. <sighs> Why is it that God wants us to wait? Yeah. You know, waiting's part of our life, isn't it? When I, I think of waiting, I'm, I have an upcoming trip here soon. And sometimes on a 30 hour trip, you know, where you're flying across the world, the wait between the stop before your last flight can be a bear because you are tired and you got the nods, your head's fade, you know, your your eyes are wanting to close, you're fading out. And it's just, you know, that three or four hours feels like 24. You know, I, I think of um, Christmas morning as a child, <laughs> you know, the, the wait from when you see the first presents, maybe that first week of December and you know, get under the tree until you can get your hands in there to tear them apart. It's like it's like our whole life has moments of waiting. Sometimes it's because of life circumstances. Sometimes it has directly to do with waiting on other people to make decisions. But mm. God has a purpose in it. He's not, you know, like the big wait for me, Carmen, in Scripture is um, 
Noah. Like, do you know from when he first started obeying, building the ark, till he started seeing eyeballs, so to speak, coming towards the ark to fill it was a hundred years. Like, wow. talk about talk about a person being faithful in the way. And it's not only him; it's Mrs. Noah. You know, believing in the vision that she felt feels like God gave her husband, and but it was a hundred years. Like, you put that in today's world. Like, after three to six months, we'd go, "I'm out." All right. God didn't make it happen yet. I'm out. And it it's just a reminder to us of how important it is to learn to wait. Um, Heinz Ketchup had a great ad when I was a kid. Um, and it was about anticipation making yes. me wait. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, that's now, right. Now if you're if you're young and you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm pretty sure that there's a YouTube video of the Heinz Ketchup anticipation ad from it would be the late 70s. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about anticipation, because you have used really, um, I mean, you know, the anticipation of a, of a trip, of arriving somewhere that we have, that we've planned and we have this wonderful anticipation um, or anticipating Christmas morning. I would say that's generally a positive waiting. Um, but there's some waiting out there, Dave, that um, is desperate. It's a, there's, a, there's a desperate waiting. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think depending on what's going on in our lives, I would bet that most of us could fill that blank in right now with what Mm -hmm. that is. And, you know, the Mm -hmm. desperate scale, maybe on a one to five with five being really desperate, it's it's still somewhere on that scale. And the, the story I like to reference this on because I can glean, there's three things here in particular that I have gleaned out of this from my own waiting. And it's the story... If you remember in the book of Acts, where Jesus um, rises from the dead, it tells us that he shows himself to his disciples over a period of about 40 days. He's speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And then he tells them to go back to Jerusalem to wait for the promise of the Father, and which is the coming of the Holy Spirit. He knew they needed the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in their lives before they could be effective to do what he asked them to do, which was go and make disciples of all nations. And and so you can imagine, you know, the dynamics there that they, and we see this a little bit later in Acts chapter one, where they, they show up in this, what's called upper room, and you have the disciples there, you have Jesus's mother there, you have some of his family there, you have some of the ladies who faithfully followed Jesus and served him and came alongside of him in his ministry. And it tells us there's about 120 or so people waiting in this room. And imagine this, Carmen, they know from what Jesus told them, they're waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit, but they don't really know what that looks like. They don't right. really even know what it means. Like, is it going right? to be like a person? Like what? I mean, he right, ta- right. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit like it was a person. It's going to yeah. be this helper, helper, this comforter. But it's, you know, it's spirit, it's, um, it's, it's somehow more powerful than Jesus, like it's going to enable us to do things that even Jesus said he couldn't himself do. Like, yeah. what, yeah. what is this going to be like? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And again, so there's that, there's that word you used, anticipation, but there's also that um, delay, you know, mm. and I think that's, that's the mirroring of waiting is there's delay and anticipation because it doesn't usually come in our timing. And so, like, one of the things that I think 
um, from this story, Carmen, that we can glean is that God uses waiting to grow our dependence on him. Mm. It's like, again, think of the feelings, the thoughts and feelings, let's call them that, that they would have had in that vacuum of Jesus being gone after being with him three years, just being with him and relying on him and watching him and always, uh, he's always going to come through. You know, this person's sick, watch this. This person needs to get free, watch this. You know, and you just saw this. And all of a sudden, that is gone. And there is a complete reliance that he's building within them, a complete, a complete dependence on him. And, and Carmen, I'm convinced that he tries to grow that in us. And I know this might sound weird, but I think God loves putting us in places of dependence. Why? Not because he likes us to wrestle with struggle and pain, but because he wants to show himself to us. He wants to come through for us so he can reveal more what he's like. But if we're not in a place of dependence, we usually aren't looking for that and we don't get to experience that. Mm. Um, God makes all of these promises and people find themselves um, waiting sometimes for relatively short period of time, uh, sometimes for a, a very, very, very long period of time. What is God doing in the midst of that waiting? And are you trusting the goodness of God in the midst of that waiting? Are you allowing God to grow your dependence and reliance upon the Holy Spirit in the midst of the waiting? We're going to continue our conversation with Dave Buring. What's God doing? And why does he want us to wait? More of this conversation up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, this is Carmen from the Mornings with Carmen show. Who's your pastor? This is Pastor Appreciation Month, and so I want you to think about who is your pastor or who are your pastors? Who shepherds your heart? Who gives you wise and faithful counsel? Who comes alongside to encourage you as you walk difficult stretches of the road? Who opens the word of God to you in ways that actually help you live into the character and ways of God? Who are your pastors? Do they know it? It's possible you have lots of answers to this question, that maybe there is somebody who's preaching or teaching you listen to regularly. They shape your scripture engagement, but they don't know it. I'm encouraging you to tell them. Whoever it is that comes to mind when I say, who is your pastor? I want you to reach out to them this month. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. So encourage those who pastor you. Oh, and if you are a pastor, thank you. Bless you. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. How long have you been waiting? How long have you been waiting for God to answer um, a particular prayer request? How long have you been waiting for God to deliver on a particular promise? How long have you been waiting um, for, for God to deliver or restore or reconcile or recover you? We're talking today with our friend Dave Buring from Lion Share. You can find what we're talking about at lionshare.org. We're we're talking about waiting and um, why God wants us to wait, what God is doing in the waiting. And we're um, using Acts chapters 1 and 2 as a place where we can turn and see um, not only a group of disciples of Jesus waiting, but waiting on something they knew to expect because Jesus had told them, and that was the waiting upon the Holy Spirit. So between Jesus's ascension and the descent of the Holy Spirit, um, in what we call Pentecost or the birthday of the church, um, there is this time of waiting. And we've talked about how in that waiting, 
Um, God is growing their dependence upon him. What else, Dave, is God doing in that time of waiting? Yeah, and I would say this is part of my own uh, journey and experience with the Lord, too, is I would say he aligns our hearts. And like, if you go back to this story in Acts, um, imagine what they were dealing with. Again, all individually having these thoughts and feelings with Jesus being gone in their own relationship with him. But it tells us in Acts one fourteen, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. And I can't help but think that there was a few things they had to work out. Like, I wonder how many of them had to work some things out with Peter, with his denial, like mm. like them probably mm. saying to him, you're sitting around the table telling us the night before, even if I have to die with you, I will never, th-. you know, it, I imagine they had to go like, dude, and then you just totally, like, I, I just wonder if there was some working, some things out there. Imagine trying to be, bring closure. Ooh, or the passive aggressive ones who just didn't say anything, like always worked their way to the other side of the upper room. So to like yeah. avoid him. Yeah. You know that tension that's in a group when people aren't talking about the thing that everybody wants to be talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And imagine the closure they were trying to get about mm. Judas. Like, mm. like, could you imagine them going things like, how did we not see this? How, or, or just the pure shock of, I still can't believe he turned like that. And and then there's the adding of Matthias to replace Judas. And so all, all I'm saying is I think that sometimes in the midst of the waiting, in this case, it had to do with other people as well, that that he was aligning their hearts to make sure their hearts could interact well with each other. And sometimes I think, Carmen, that God has us in waiting because he's trying to get our heart prepared for what he wants to bring. But because our focus is so much on the answer, we're missing what he's trying to do in the process because we know God can do what what he can do like that, that fast. So we have to pause and say, okay, is he trying to build something in me? Is he trying to align my heart more with his attitudes I have, character qualities I have, things that he knows is going to be very important for the future? And so I think when we're in the midst of waiting, one of the things we need to do is turn our attention to God to say, God, where are you trying to align my heart better with yours? Mm, that's so good. Um, timing. Um, we... we we have a sense of timing, and it's sometimes it's completely out of whack with God's timing. Can you talk a little bit about waiting and and timing? Yeah. And again, I think this story uh, here in the book of Acts and Pentecost helps us see some of this. This was one of the Jewish feast days, the Feast of Harvest. And um, Pentecost was really the celebration of the beginning of the early weeks of harvest. And so... During this time, um, literally when the pot, when this is going on in Acts, the, the streets of Jerusalem would have been just clogged, jammed up with thousands of pilgrims who'd come from every point of the compass to celebrate the goodness of God and the bringing in of the harvest. And for whatever reason, God chooses to wait for this promise of the Holy Spirit to come in the midst of this. And again, we're scratching our heads. We're not understanding until you let it play out. 
And if you've ever read Acts chapter 2, you see the disciples are in the upper room, and it says there's this sound like a mighty rushing wind. And they are filled with the Holy Spirit. They are empowered. They, they begin to speak in other languages, like a supernatural thing. And all these Jewish people and people from around the globe that are there begin to hear the glorious gospel of Jesus in their own language. And it in, in Acts chapter 2, Carmen, it mentions, mentions all these places from short to far of where they had come. And in their own native tongue, they heard the good news about Jesus. And if you remember the story in the end, you know, people repent as Peter stands up and preaches. And 3,000 people... 3,000 people are added that day. Now, again, context, at that point, the church was about 120. So after this waiting and the empowerment that comes in that one moment of time, the church grows from 120 to 3,120. So in the midst of it, one of the things that God does is he builds our trust in his timing. Hmm. So good. Um. One of the things, if you're listening right now, you know you've heard me talk about before, is a discipleship journey. It is this really practical tool that you can find at lionshare.org. Practical tool for making disciples of Jesus. In chapter 6, there is um, a lesson that includes a section on waiting. And um, I just want to read this list of the fruits of waiting on God. So, if we're waiting on God and we're doing so um, not with the things of the world in mind, but with the infinite one in mind, all right? So as you're waiting on God, you will not need to be ashamed or disappointed. It's the promise of Psalm 25 and Isaiah 49. You will receive courage. You'll receive hope and help, Psalm 33. You'll receive rest in the midst of difficulty, Psalm 37. Also in Psalm 37, you will inherit the land that God wants to give you. Psalm 40 reminds us that as we wait, we will know God's deliverance. Psalm 106, we will receive his counsel. Isaiah 25, we will know his salvation. And Isaiah 30, his blessing. Isaiah 40, his strength. Isaiah 64, we will see him act on our behalf. In Lamentations 3, we are reminded that There is this fruit of waiting on God, where we actually get to experience his goodness. And Micah 7.7 reminds us that God hears us as we wait in faithful anticipation and expectation of him to answer. And then again, from Acts chapter 1, which we've been talking about today with Dave, um, we will experience this birthing of ministry, this opportunity, in the same way that the church is birthed in the place of waiting on God, God is looking to deliver in and through you not only your own new birth, but a birth into a ministry of reconciliation, you as an agent of grace, you as a disciple of Jesus, co-missioning with him in the world um, to extend the gospel to more and more people. So it's worth waiting for. God is worth waiting on. And uh, we just want to remind you today that as you wait upon the Lord, that your strength is being renewed, and you should have great expectancy and anticipation. Because even though things seem impossible 
in so many directions and in so many parts of our lives. Nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. You can check out what we've been talking about today and lots of wonderful resources for you and your discipleship journey at lionshare.org. Next up, we're going to pivot to a conversation with our friend, Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. You are by now aware that we have a new speaker of the House of Representatives. His name is Michael Johnson. You've also heard in the media coverage related to him, um, uh, maybe a, a renewal of the use, frequent use of the phrase Christian nationalism. What, what does it mean? What does Mike Johnson, um, what does he construct his worldview upon? Why should we care as the person who is third in line to the presidency and the one who controls the docket for uh, the People's House? All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, joining us now, Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, Carmen. How are you all? Well, it's all, you know, it is well with my soul. The world is a bit of a hot mess, but that's not really any different than most days. <laughs> I, I I think uh, uh, that that is a good good attitude to maintain. Uh, I, I I I frequently uh, I like to uh, flip to the end of the Book of Revelation or to the Resurrection and say, "Okay, I I I know we I, I know God wins." So that, that absolutely can, can abs- well, and we yeah. have known this. We have known this for a long, long time. So. Um, it's it's interesting that you make reference to the end of the book of Revelation. Uh, Jim and I, as we were driving uh, home yesterday from just a little weekend, you know, leaf looking, we, you know, he's like, I just, I just want to read. So he starts in Revelation 19 and he reads through the end of the book. And it's just like, sometimes you just need this reminder, this, this affirmation. And um, at the church where we worship, we, we are in the book of Isaiah. And a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at Isaiah 25 to 27, where, you know, the, the Revelation 21 language, like it's all there. It's all, it's all there back in the prophecy of, of Isaiah. Um, and if we're willing to recognize that this has been an unfolding redemptive history for a long, 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 long time, it I gives me a bit of settledness in the midst of chaos. Yeah, and I and I, uh, I I think that is the way, especially to look at the Book of Revelation, is to see finally a uh, a comfort to a church that is under duress, persecution, or just just struggling. Um, and I, I I know that was uh, uh, I'll just say on a quick autobiographical note, uh, um, Isaiah twenty five was uh, a very big help to me. Um, when I was going through cancer treatments, I know we talked, we've talked about that mm. historically, but there is the idea of <clears throat> the end of all times being a feast. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, my, my cancer treatments at one point had where, uh, eating was, uh, pretty painful. And in fact, uh, something I, 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 um, loathed the idea of doing and the idea that, uh, the, the culmination of all the evil of the world going away, being a feast with God was a, uh, uh, uh quite a picture. And that's in, uh, Isaiah 25, I should say. That's why I, you, I thought of that when you mentioned it. So, yeah, no, uh, absolutely. And we're going to, and where are we going to feast? I mean, we're going to feast in the house of Zion, <laughs> such a contemporary conversation as well. Um, 
Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about what's going on in Washington, D.C. for just a moment, because it does. I mean, I was noting that um, uh, Saturday Night Live thought they it was important enough for them to introduce the Speaker of the House, Michael Johnson. And when they did it, he repeated he had repeat his name because he's like, well, nobody's going to forget that. Um so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, that's like I have a, a I have a friend named John Smith, and I, I just say, you know, I, I could have fifteen of you. Uh, that's the, exactly the right. Of the name, yes. Uh, so, uh, so he's not uh, he's he's not generic though. We're going to let him. We're going to let him um, not only have his moment in the sunlight here, um, but just recognize that this is a incredibly significant position. In our national life, um, the person who serves as Speaker of the House is, by by that position, they are third in line for the presidency. And so this is a significant position of um, of respect and honor and potentially power. Um, what what are we hearing? What are they saying about Michael Johnson? What do you think we should know about him today? Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll start with sometimes you get into a position uh, partly by being by having some anonymity <laughs> and and that did help him not that his colleagues didn't know who he was but he didn't have an established national media presence he wasn't considered part publicly of a uh, particular faction of the factions that were duking it out in the republican party that caused so many candidates to not make it as they were going through the process so um that helped him be someone that people that could not agree with each other could agree to. Um, and part of it too was um, he, uh, and, and part of that, I think then the question is going to be, he, that also meant he uh, didn't go through the normal rungs of leadership to get up to his position. So on one hand, the question is going to be, can he hold this coalition together in a way that previous uh, Republican speakers have not going all the way back to really John Boehner in the early 20, uh, uh, 2010s um, on the other side, he himself seems to be a man of uh, exceptional um, character and principle, uh, a very devout, uh, Christian, uh, uh, someone who is willing to very much speak that way, as his opening remarks were uh, from the House uh, when he was when he was uh, selected. And uh, so the question is going to be, can does he have the skill set? Does he have the wisdom to take what I think is a fairly, uh, uh, um, you know, humble plus um, devout background or, or, or position or starting point and is he going to be able to hold a very narrow and fractious house together? So that combination of principle and prudence or principle and, and skill politically, I think that's going to be the question going forward. And I think he deserves uh, the benefit of the doubt until he proves otherwise. Let's And he's, and he's going to be thrown right into the fire. Um, government funding from the last continuing resolution that the, the deal that was struck runs out in about less than three weeks. So, uh, we're going to see, can he bring those things together or not? Mm. Um, when we, uh, I mean, if you were just to type his name in right now and 
you know, and see what um, the world is saying about him. There's a lot out there, Adam, that refers to Christian nationalism. Um, Politico has a piece where they're interviewing um, somebody that they regard as an expert in all things Christian and Christian leadership, uh, and they are inviting her to reflect on um, Michael Johnson and and this notion of Christian nationalism or where he might lead. And so I just want to read two paragraphs from, from that interview and invite you to um, respond so that I can see if I'm understanding my own thinking the right way. Because when she describes his version of, quote, Christian nationalism, I'm not sure I have any disagreement. And so it must be in the working out of it that there is a problem that I need someone to shine a light on. So could you, could we do that? Can you just listen to me read these two paragraphs and then we'll talk about it? Sure. sure. Okay. So this is, again, this is, um, I'm drawing from a piece in Politico and it's a conversation with Christian Demuse. She says of um, the new Speaker of the House, Michael Johnson, in his speech on Wednesday, he incorporated a G.K. Chesterton quote about the U.S. being based on a creed. And he said the American creed is, quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, end quote. But he goes much deeper than that. Again, that's Demuse, really roots that in what he would call a biblical worldview. The core principles of our nation reflect these biblical truths and biblical principles. He has gone on record saying things like, for him, this biblical worldview means that all authority comes from God and that there are distinct realms of God-ordained authority the family, the church, the government. Now, all this authority, of course, is under this broader understanding, for Michael Johnson, she's saying, um, uh, of God-given authority. So it's not the right of any parents to decide what's best for their kids. It's the right of parents to decide what's best for their kids in alignment with their understanding of biblical law. Same thing for the church's role. It is to spread Christianity, but also to care for the poor. That's not the government's job. Now, I have to tell you, I... I actually agree with all of that. So am I a Christian nationalist by this definition? Yeah, um, I think that uh, the, the, the public use of this term has been really unhelpful. In fact, uh, Thomas Kidd, who's a very perceptive uh, religious historian, taught at Baylor, is now at, um, uh, I think, Midwest Baptist Seminary. He recently said uh, the social media definition and maybe the political definition of a Christian nationalist is a Christian whose political views do not align with mine, right? Which ah, isn't so. That which is just is, like it's like used in so many ways. Yeah, so sort of yeah. the way fundamentalist I think has now been uh, re, re, recaptured captured in a way of anyone whose p- religious views are more stringent or or uh, um, hardened than mine or uh, anyway uh, or more sectarian than mine. So uh, uh, yeah, I, I think those points would make um, most Orthodox Christians in the history of the world Christian nationalists, um, including uh, uh, many people who would not self-define as that. It's hard to find any serious theologian that doesn't read Romans 13 as saying God ordains and establishes all political authority and therefore all particular persons that rise to politics. That doesn't mean that God uh, doesn't bring some for judgment and some for blessing. Um, the idea that uh, the the moral law of Christianity has something to say about how we live our lives and how justice is uh, ordered in in society is something that almost all Christian thinkers throughout the history of the world have believed. 
So uh, the, the the idea of Christian nationalism merely being the idea that Christians bring the teachings of Scripture and the Bible into how we live our lives as citizens, and that that might have some effect on justice, laws, and things like that, really isn't very helpful um, uh, in, in the sense of it's not very clarifying. Uh, and it only really becomes a smear for those who believe that that sort that that very long-standing Christian view is illegitimate. So, if you're going to have a, a definition of Christian nationalism as something unique and distinct, it would be something much more particular than that. That I don't think Johnson uh, fits in with. Uh, in fact, many of the people who have been more narrowly defined as Christian nationalists uh, in the recent years actually would disagree with some of that. And and the first I'll say it is, is uh, the fact that Johnson appealed to the Declaration of Independence and said that we, the United States, are based on a creed, based on a proposition, based on an idea that really almost anyone who aligns with that idea can be an American. Um, you know, uh, more the, the more recent elements of Christian nationalism tend to not agree with that. They tend to have a, a, a more ethnic basis or a, a claim that um, this is more particular to the West or particular to Europe or particular to uh, other, uh, uh, maybe even more nasty elements. So uh, again, I, I'm going on and on, but I, I think that uh, those kind of accusations really are trying to smear any Christian involvement as being Christian nationalism, rather than giving a helpful definition of how it might be a particular part of the debate among Christians about how to realize our politics in the real world. All right. So um, just give some thoughtful consideration today to Romans 13 and how you understand that working itself out, how how you do understand um, God's hand uh, in the unfolding events of human history, how you understand that in relationship to any nation state, including the one in which um, you live right now, where, wherever that may be. And for those of us who live in the United States of America, um, how do you hear? How do you receive? How do you live out Phrases like those in, um, uh, I almost said the Apostles' Creed, In this is the problem, right? In the creed, uh, the American creed um, here, if it's described that way at the, at the opening of the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Um, what does it mean to be created? It, it means that we have a creator and, and truths and, and revelation and on and on and on. Yeah. Could, could I mention one more thing? Uh, yeah, sure. I, 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 I don't know if all Christians, for some decent reasons, might like calling it a creed because of the alignment with the theological statements. But you know who else called that statement America's creed? Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. in his I Have a Dream speech. So that could have been even calling on that that comparable reference. He he said mm-hmm. we should live out the true meaning of our creed and that the creed the American creed, the American commitment was that all men are created equal. Yeah, it's uh it's a it's a good it's a good I think a good conversation starter in terms of what we believe, what we would put on a sign out there in our yards. That's where we tend to carry our creeds today. Um, all right, we're going to jump to a quick break. When we come bra- come back, we're going to talk about our common wealth. What is our common wealth? What does that phrase mean, um, and how could it be retrieved today? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge, host of Mornings with Carmen. Time together as people of faith is so important, and together we can make a positive impact. 
So Faith Radio is ready to hit the road. Would your community be a good fit for a Faith Radio live event full of encouragement and togetherness that we can spur each other on toward love and good deeds? Nominate your community for a live Faith Radio event at MyFaithRadio.com. And I hope to get to see you soon. All right, if uh, if the phrase Christian nationalism gets thrown around and it doesn't um, mean the same thing to everyone and it's tend to be incendiary when it's dropped, what what might we say um, as a counter? What might we talk about? What, what What might we renew in our speech? What about Commonwealth, the Christian Commonwealth or our Commonwealth? So we're talking with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Adam, what um what would Christian Commonwealth or our Commonwealth be and how might a renewal of it or a retrieval of it help us today? Right. And and I am I have joined a project that is trying to work with this through a group called the Davenant Institute that is um trying to retrieve some of the wisdom of the Christian past, especially for Protestants, the Protestant Christian past, um, in a way that uh, can be helpful for today. And and uh, and part of it is some of the political wisdom. And there's a new publication that's coming out that I'm going to be contributing to. And just to just to set the stage for for, for how I'm going to be having this conversation ongoing, but. Um, it's the idea that um, so our politics right now does feel um, a bit exhausted, as <laughs> if we're 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 and a bit as if we're we're looking for direction. And how can we think about um, our engagement with the political order in a way that um, both is uh, submits to the teachings of scripture rather than trying to manipulate them for our own partisan agendas, but also recognizes that, um, that the, the Christian wisdom of the past has to be applied to our own situation in America in the 21st century that isn't the same as others. And can we find one that sees our political community as not just a smattering of individuals who are living their own uh, lives, but as a true community. And the idea of commonwealth is the idea that there is something we hold in common, and the idea of wealth, in in more practical terms, being something of benefit, not monetary wealth, but something of goodness um, that makes us part of something larger than ourselves and that God has of course created ultimately the church for that, but he's created political community for that as well, for us to live together. So to maybe have a better and renewed conversation about what goods has God set up and ordered for us as citizens and as political communities, and how can we retrieve that good in a way that maybe reinvigorates our fractious and exhausted politics. So I think that's the that's only a beginning, but I think that's that's the starting point for some of the work that I, I'm hoping to be a part of going forward. I think part of my um, hope here is that um, this will inspire people to think about what we have in common and who we are in common and what we are for in common, as opposed to focusing on the divisions, the dividing walls, and the hostility, because those seem to be the um, the things being fanned in the current climate. And so 
Um, I'm holding out great hope for the retrieval of our commonwealth, and I appreciate this effort. If you guys are interested in the direct link um, to the conversation related to retrieving our commonwealth, um, I'm happy to shoot that to you via a text message. Just text me 877-933-2484. Adam, thanks as always so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, We have a number of prayer concerns uh, to lift up today. Um, Lots of folks texting in over the weekend, just things that are very, very um, heavy. Um, Some things that are celebrations. We have a person celebrating the uh, assisted living facility where they have been um, and the, the opportunity to live in a space where there is hot water and, um, and heat and food um, celebrating a, a room with a bed and friends with whom to spend time with over a meal. Um, thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to um, remind us that um, yeah, just remind us that God is good. He sees you. He cares about you. Want to lift up um, people who are really genuinely suffering this weekend. Um, Kevin is asking for prayers today for God to bring an exposure to injustice. Um, we uh, we have a friend who lost a friend to suicide, um, and we want to lift them up um, for... Um, people who are feeling bereft and alone. Um, So thank you for those of you who've shared your prayer concerns here over the weekend. I'd just like to um, turn to the Lord here. I know we only have a minute before we need to make a transition to the next hour, but a minute is worthy of, of going before the Lord together. Father, we do come before you as brothers and sisters in Christ in the very name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You promise that where two or three are gathered, and there are two gathered here, Father, I am gathered here with my friend who is who is bowing before you now in prayer alongside me. And we are bearing up the concerns of our hearts, the burdens of our lives, our kids, our parents, our families, our friends, ourselves, our pains, the injustice that we face in the world, the challenges, the hardships. Holy God, tend to each one tenderly now by your magnificent Holy Spirit. And show us a way where there seems to be no way. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. We've got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.